1: and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. We are sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. We're Deacon on pilgrimage. Yes, hello. Robert Hutton has joined us again, and we are on pilgrimage. As a reminder to all of our listeners, what a cool place this is. Absolutely. And then we meet so many interesting people.
2: We, we do, Deacon Jeff. Right. We,
1: I was going to say that our, our Catholic faith, uh, you know, and we know the word Catholic means universal and truly universal in the sense that we have so many different... Types of people, races of people, languages, uh, and all gathered together um, under uh, here in Lourdes, under the mantle of Our Lady, but really all gathered together, uh, circled around the throne of the Lord. You know, it was just so beautiful right. to see and worship together in our Catholic faith, and it's truly a worldwide faith. And we meet so many different and interesting people. And we met a bishop who people may or may not be familiar with, but uh, he, we thought he'd be a great guest on our program. That's right. So here we are in pilgrimage, and we're with Bishop Stephen Lopes. Hello there. Uh, it's so good to have you, Your Excellency, and uh, you are the Bishop of the Personal Ordin- Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. Yeah, oh. save that ten times fast. No, we, we,
2: we, Where please is that? don't challenge the
1: show host. <laughs> well, I'm sure all the time people say, and when you, if you ever introduce yourself, they say, what is that? They have that look. They the glaze over, sort of, yeah.
3: <laughs> but, uh, no, the, the personal ordinary of the chair of St. Peter is a diocese uh, that spans most of North America, actually.
1: That's a very big diocese yeah. in yeah. terms yeah. of territory.
3: It means a lot of time on an airplane.
2: Wow. Yeah, do right. you have to do confirmation to I do. travel all over the I United do. States? I <laughs>
3: do. Have suitcase. We'll travel. You know, <laughs>
1: some of the bishops might whine about, you know, having to be like at the, the eastern Tennessee and have to drive. i got to drive like 120 miles today. And, and yet you have I have <laughs> confirmation. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) in
3: Dallas followed by confirmation in Baltimore so there you go. That is the
1: most amazing thing so I guess what we want to do is we, we, we know this to be like a diocese, the ordinariate yes. is. Yes, um, But maybe help us understand where what? its origins came from. Was it sort of created specifically for a purpose?
3: Exactly. So in 2009, uh, Pope Benedict the XVI uh, publishes the apostolic constitution Anglicanorum Cetibus, which, uh, which creates these three structures, ordinariates they're called, in England, in North America, and in Australia. And an ordinariate is simply a a $10,000 word for a diocese Mm, mm -hmm. that is comprised of these parishes that were formerly Anglican Episcopal who have come into full communion with the Catholic Church. Most dioceses, though, are territorial. They belong to a place. Baltimore, Boston, Houston. Um, Our diocese is is called personal. It's the personal ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. Because the personality, if you will, of our clergy and parishioners, those who have come into full communion, those who uh, have been nurtured and nourished in an Anglican heritage who are now Catholic, uh, is, is the quality that creates the diocese, the way that we celebrate liturgy is a little different. The way that we structure our parishes is a little bit different. And so it creates a diocese wherever our communities are, that's where the diocese extends.
1: And that's interesting because you know uh, the typical Catholic experience and what people would know and be familiar with, I'm mean, I teach RCIA and so sure. typically uh, this year we had forty two uh, people come and join in full communion and they 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 we thought we well here's a Presbyterian, here's a Baptist. Exactly. And I have several Episcopalians Certainly. Uh, in our area. And so typically they will be sort of full it into our parish or into our diocese, our community. But this is different.
3: This is different. It responds to uh, a pastoral need. Uh, So there are occasions of not only uh, lay faithful, but clergy who have entered full communion with the Catholic Church, Anglican clergy, um, who have over the course of the last, oh, say 30 years or so, uh, received a dispensation from the Vatican, from the Holy Father, to be ordained Catholic priests, Mm. because most of these are married men. Right. Um, and, and that was possible. Actually, the first uh, such dispensation was granted by Pope Pius XII. So this goes back a while. But it was Pope John Paul II who, in 1982, 1983, uh, creates a structure for how to do this, how mm. to form, uh, how to, 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 well, to allow former uh, Episcopal Anglican clergy who are married to be ordained Catholic priests. And that was called the Pastoral Provision. And, and that was the status quo for a number of years. Um, what changed in the early 2000s was that a group, well, several groups, actually, all over the world of Anglican bishops, Anglican clergy, uh, were writing to the Holy Father, posing a different kind of question, saying, Holy Father, we're ready to come tomorrow. We will mm-hmm. gladly come uh, and leave it all behind. Uh, if we can be accepted into full communion, ordained Catholic priests would be wonderful. But, you know, we just this is what we want. We just have one question. That is, we have all these parishioners over here Mm. who belong to our parishes and who want to follow us into full communion. And it's the relationship that we have together as pastors and people that drive that desire of of the fullness of Catholic truth. So, Holy Father, is there a way that we can do this and preserve that essential bond with our people and preserve something of our own identity, Mm. the way that we've celebrated and worshipped, the way that we've prayed, the way that we've sung? that has nurtured in us the Catholic faith. And that's the task that then Pope Benedict XVI entrusted to the Doctrine, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, where I was working at the time, to say, uh, okay, now is this kind of thing possible, and what would it look like? And the response to that question is that that document, 2009, uh, Anglicanorum Cedibus, and the, the the practical way that that was then put into practice in England first, then North America, then Australia, these three structures were were set up.
1: This is an amazing thing because uh, a lot of us don't realize We think that, like, well, we have all these different flavors of Christianity, right? We've got right. the Catholics and we've got the Baptists and we've got, you know, and, and they might view it that way and be perfectly content. But I, I was going to ask you, why, why do you sense that, uh, well, uh, Pope St. John Paul II would think this was so important to reach out to a community like that, to reach out or to start this process, to start to, Hold people in or, or or reach out, I guess, and then that Pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus Benedict would, would think, hey, w- we need to do this.
3: Because I think uh, the Holy Fathers, uh, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, also Pope Francis in many ways uh, as relates to the ordinary, see this as a work of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. as a movement of the Holy Spirit stirring in people's hearts, stirring in the hearts of these clergy. Uh, and, you know, um, it was an acknowledgment truly that, you know, grace was at work In the ministry of these priests uh, in the Church of England, in the Episcopal Church uh, in the United States, in some of these other uh, Anglican uh, groupings and and denominations, pushing them, impelling them towards the fullness of Catholic truth. And they wanted to honor um, the, the working of the Holy Spirit in that way by acknowledging it and accepting it.
2: Excellency, how different is the, I mean, is it like if I walked into one of the masses in one of your parishes, would I feel at home as a Latin Catholic or would I, would it be surely totally different certainly, to me? Certainly,
3: certainly, because it's not, we're, we're not a different rite uh, that the, the, the liturgy that we celebrate on Sunday, which we call divine worship, is really a form of the Roman rite. So what that means, it's the way that the Roman rite was taken up in Anglicanism, and so in 1549 and Developed uh, within that context uh, over the, the course of the next 500 years, and then regrafted onto the worship of so the church. So, would you
2: have like a reading from the Old Testament, a reading exactly. from the Epistles, a Gospel? Exactly. Eustor- would the Eucharistic prayers sound very similar to what we would hear in our parishes?
3: We have. Well, the language is slightly different. Ours is uh, they call it hieratic English. We use the V's and yeah. V's, You okay. know, a more uh, a more solemn yeah. form, if you will. Uh, but the, you know, as a, as a, I'm a cradle Catholic myself. You know, yeah. you you recognize immediately the Mass. Mm-hmm. The structure of the Mass is there. There are a few notable changes. You'll see that the Gospel, for example, is proclaimed usually from the middle aisle of the church. Um, the, the, the word of God proclaimed uh, in the midst of the, uh, of the gathered church. You know, you can kind of see some mm-hmm. of the accent there that comes out of Anglicanism. The penitential rite, you know, we do it at the beginning of Mass, kind of as an introductory rite. I confess to Almighty God, you know, to prepare ourselves for all that is to come right. in, in the Mass. Our penitential rite is right before the offertory. Because, again, it's that operative understanding of the power of the word of God. It is the word of God that's proclaimed in the readings, preached in the homily, uh, professed in the faith, you know, as we do the creed, that grabs you and convicts you and and, and impels you to confess your sins before you offer your gift on the altar. And so the penitential rite... Is uh, is right there before the offertory? Right, go and
1: make peace with your brother before you right. come together. Right, exactly so you, right. It's a little more, maybe a little, little literal interpretation of that or an understanding of that. Yes. So that'd be kind of neat, Robert, yeah. to go into a mass like that and see how would a well could we do that? Yeah, oh, I was sure. going to say, is, are we yeah. welcome to to that mass?
3: Everyone you? is welcome. It's 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 a Catholic mass. It uh, it satisfies every Catholic Sunday obligation. We are Roman Catholics uh, in the ordinariate of the Chair of Saint Peter. Um, and as I say, it's a different form of the Roman Rite. So it would be equivalent to going to say to an extraordinary form, Mass. Right. It's, it's Mass. Right. Um, it's 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 the Roman rite, but you know, in, in a different uh, in a different articulation with a different emphasis. Well, you- and I
1: would imagine that that a lot of our Catholic, even though sometimes we can sort of live in a little bubble of our parish, right, in our experience, right. and it's Father so and so, and I've had Father so and so here for many years, and we all are comfortable to understand how we do Mass. Mm-hmm. But if you step outside the boundaries of your own existence, sometimes and many of our listeners have gone to Rome, and you will instantly see. Just a, a large variety of different habits and different uh, clerical garb. You like, need a field guide. Exactly, actually, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like like bird watchers, people That's with it. binoculars. Uh, look at that one, uh, and and the reality is that it, it helps you to understand that really it is a. A universal church. It's a very the, big church. It's a
3: big church. and lots of different
1: folks in it. And this,
3: this, you know, you make a very good point, because this grows right to the heart of what Benedict XVI was saying in Anglican Arm Chedibus. The If you want to, to boil that whole document down to one sentence, here it is. That the unity of faith allows for a diversity in the expression of that faith. And what he was able to say is if, if they are professing Catholic faith, then that which we have in common, that which is the source of our communion, our faith in God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as lived out in the sacramental life of the church, allows then the, the particular expressions of that faith to be different and to be harmonious mm-hmm. and not discordant. It doesn't it doesn't challenge the unity of the church to have these different expressions. It actually builds the unity of well, the church.
1: Well, the, just the, the image you just brought there in terms of harmony is mm-hmm. people singing. If we're singing, maybe singing different notes, but if they're... In the same chord, they end right. up being harmonious and beautiful. Right. Right? A little barbershop quartet. Cardinal Levada
3: used this image once. Uh, Cardinal Levada was prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith when Anglican Orm came out. He said once, look, the piano has all the notes on it. Right. You know, uh, you could be content with the piano, or you could listen to an orchestral score.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, and, that's, and and that, I think, really kind of gets to yeah,
1: the Yeah, and, and that's, that's really neat to see. So we have so much more to talk to uh, uh, Bishop Lopes about. Uh, in this, um, personal ordinar- ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter. Uh, we're going to get into more about like what that process looks like when, sure. when your parish decides or when your clergy, how that works. Cause right. there's probably lots of questions about that that we have. Sure, Before sure. we do that, want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, with your ideas of shows or questions about your Catholic faith. Send them to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back.
4: I'm Bess and this is another great moment in church history. Throughout history, Catholics have contributed greatly to the development of society, promoting government based upon justice and the dignity of the human person. One prime example of a great church statesman was Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Born in 1150 in Lincolnshire, England. Stephen studied theology in Paris. His piety and love of God won him the respect of other clerics, including the future Pope Innocent III. He was elevated to Archbishop of Canterbury in 1207. At that time in church history, the books of the Bible were not subdivided. Typically written in scrolls, the only separation would be a space at the end of each line of sacred text. Archbishop Langton divided the books of the Bible into chapters so they could be more easily referenced and studied. These chapter divisions are the ones still used today. With a strong personal devotion to the Holy Spirit, Archbishop Langton is also credited with authoring the prayer, Vini Spiritus Sanctus, or Come Holy Spirit, which is often part of the liturgy at Pentecost. This love of the scriptures and devotion to the Holy Spirit guided Archbishop Langton to have a profound impact upon the development of human rights. At that time in England, there was a great political crisis as the reigning King John had rescinded several of the rights granted to barons by his predecessor, King Henry I. Archbishop Langton led a group of barons in a struggle against the king. Furious with the archbishop's actions, the King declared anyone who followed the Archbishop a public enemy. But the clergy of England, as well as the Pope, were fully supportive of Archbishop Langton. Several negotiations occurred among the parties to try and secure the rights of barons against the King. Ultimately, in 1215, Archbishop Langton led a council of churchmen in Westminster, which drafted the Magna Carta, the first great statement of individual liberties which was ultimately signed by King John. This great statement of rights is the forerunner of other codifications of rights, including the Bill of Rights, which is part of the American Constitution. Archbishop Langton should serve as an example to Catholics in our modern day to study the scriptures, seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and stand up to oppressive governments to protect the rights of all persons. I'm Vestor And this is another great moment in church history.
0: Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff.
1: And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff. Sitting with Robert Hutton, we're on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta in Lourdes, France. And we've got Bishop Stephen Lopes here with us. He's the Bishop of the Personal Orient. I, I stumble yeah, on ordinary. Know. every time. You and time. me both. And right? We're yeah. going to have to petition Rome and see if we can get that changed so well, I know, can pronounce it.
3: it's funny. There is another ordinaria in the United States. And that is? The Military Archdiocese. Oh, and we've oh. had
1: uh, Archbishop Brolio, is it? right? That, yeah, right? We've had right. him on the show here.
3: They realized that nobody could say Ordinariate, and they petitioned Rome to change the name to the Archdiocese for the Military Services. But well, technically... Maybe. They're the military ordinariate of the United States.
2: You know, there's one thing uh, Bishop Lowe said. I, I was kind of curious about. Is I've got a lot of friends that are Anglicans, and sure. one of the things they said that was different is, well, that they didn't go to confession. I mean, is there a sacrament of confession traditionally in Anglicanism,
3: and how do you deal with that with these new Catholics? Anglicanism is a pretty broad uh, definition. Within within the the word Anglicanism, you have. Uh, various branches, if you will. Anglo-Catholics, uh, for example. They would understand themselves really as the inheritors of that medieval Catholic tradition, and they are the Catholic branch within Anglicanism. Anglo-Catholics forever and always have had confession, have had you know the seven sacraments. Um,
1: they're still Anglican, though, they're still but, Anglican. They're, but they're flavored with the Catholicism exactly. of exactly. the medieval times. Exactly, okay.
3: exactly. Is that there, what
1: some people would call, like, high church Anglican or something? Or is that different? Or is that just...
3: It's similar. Um, yes. But Highest you, church. Well, yeah. perhaps, yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Because you have Anglo-Catholics, you have uh, papalists, you have all sorts okay. of things. But then also in, the, in, in that same word, Anglicanism, you have a very evangelical branch. And the evangelical branch would really have two dominical sacraments. Mm. That means sacraments instituted by our Lord. They would understand that as baptism... And com- and, uh, and and communion, but right. the other sacraments, you know, uh, oh, those are sacraments of the church. For sa- let's say, or um, they're helpful but not necessary. Right. And so, a lot of um, evangelical Anglican communities uh, would would be more decidedly Protestant in their flavor. They would right. not necessarily wear mass vestments. So, some
1: people would would e- easier, easily and maybe eagerly embrace the very Catholic things that are essentially make the the, the seven sacraments, et cetera. And some would be less. I remember uh, we had um, um, an Episcopal, a former Episcopal priest who became Catholic at at my parish. And he now teaches at Belmont Abbey, uh, Ron Thomas. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he, he would tell me that he would start doing things at his parish and they'd say, that's too Catholic. Now you're getting a little too Catholic on us because it was a little uncomfortable for some folks.
3: This story can be repeated by every one of yeah. my priests in the ordinariate. I have about seventy priests, and all of them, you know, would have would have understood themselves to be English Catholic, you know, and uh, and so that the journey into full communion was not something that necessarily required them to learn more or different faith, right. but you know, to embrace you know certain key. Uh, elements of that faith petrine primacy for example but you know most of the priests but this doesn't
1: happen in a vacuum right these these priests somehow somehow the holy spirit's touching them in some way they're getting a tug or a pull how do they suddenly start thinking like you know i i love what i have but but i want more and i want this fullness or i sense that there is a fullness i mean i mean i know you guys are not dropping leaflets over episcopal churches i mean we certainly don't uh, proselytize in that way and it's not like there's subversive people that we're going to move in and we're going to convert all of these Episcopalians or Anglicans. I, I, so somehow the Holy Spirit's at work here.
3: The Holy Spirit's at work and it must also be said or at least acknowledged that it, it, hap- it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the span of time that has seen massive changes in Anglicanism mm. um, and, and, and changes that, you know, our clergy who have come in to full communion, say, is beyond the pale of what is allowable. Right. You know, it's a change in not only discipline, but it's a change in, in real sacramental faith. Right. Uh, and so, for example, um, one of the, the newest congregations in the Ordinarians in Louisville, Kentucky and their uh, their priest and they're, they're uh, about fifty or so parishioners. you know it really came down to when the Diocese of Kentucky, the Episcopal Diocese of Kentucky said, "No, all of our parishes will uh, officiate at same sex marriages." I uh-huh. saying, "Well, no, see that's not marriage in the way that church right. intends the way that Christ has intended." And so,
1: but where do they get that? That's what, I guess what matters is where do they get that sense? How how do they know to say no? Mm-hmm. Right, because it challenges a man at his very core. Now, what do I really believe? Exactly right.
3: And so they're going back not only to the scriptures, mm-hmm. but they're going back to how the scriptures have been traditionally taken up and interpreted by the church. Ah, you know, and so that, that that understanding that that's that's not consonant with the faith with the, the faith once handed on to the saints, right? You know, and and so no, that and no further, you know, right. and so there's that sense of well, if then if that if our church if the Episcopal Church or whatever community I belong to is going to go further, then it creates that 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 crisis of conscience and that needing to look at, all right, well, well pe- where is the, f- the solid, firm right. foundation? People want the rock.
2: People know that truth must be unchanging. And I think if you all of a sudden see that fundamental core truths start changing, it makes you look for, well, where is their unchanging right. truth? And,
3: and so, for example, uh, a, lum- a number of our clergy, a number of our faithful would say it's something like the magisterium, the teaching office of the truth, the, uh, the, of the church that doesn't exist in Anglicanism, that is a hallmark of the Church of Christ. It is one of those things that, that that the church teaches the faith, the gospel, with authority. Right. Um, and it's the and and you you hear that again and again. That gift of authority, not something that's lorded over or oppressive, but something that is actually liberating and freeing, right. because it allows you to grasp onto the faith with confidence and know that you're standing uh, in. That faithful transmission of the gospel from one generation to the next.
1: Now, this sounds all simple, right? We got we got an Episcopalian priest who thinks, well, you know, I think I want to become a Catholic mm-hmm. uh, for what, or for all these reasons we're talking about, I'm, and there's many, many more, I'm sure. But, but. Uh, you, but what about, you know, so we, we understand that, but it's not that simple because there's so many things like because he's got a flock. He's got a flock, right? He's got yes, exactly all right. those little sheep are there. And it's like and, well, someone a fa- and,
3: him, and generally a family. Exactly.
1: Know? And we've always been Episcopalians. We go to this Episcopal church. And so here's Father so-and-so who now. Wants to be cat- how does that process work? I mean, does he go out and announce? By the way, tomorrow we're all going to be Catholic, which I know he doesn't do. No, <laughs> certainly not. And that and that there there has to be like a discerning for each of the individual members of that yes of that parish or community.
3: It it, it happens in a number of different ways. It happens you know in the the fidelity of his teaching and preaching. You mm-hmm. know he awakens faith in the others, and in informal conversation realizes all right. There's probably a number of these parishioners here that are interested in this, and so they begin you know very much like a Bible Bible study, they begin a catechism study right. some, and go through the catechism of the Catholic Church and, you know, and make that determination. Is this something that we need to do right. together or am I going to be impelled as the priest to kind of, you know, move on my own first as the example right. and hopefully others will follow? Um, it, it depends. And when that happens, generally that means a stepping out into the darkness, a real stepping out in this faith. This could
1: be a little torturous sometimes do you, you lose think? your
3: building yeah. you lose your 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 income you use lose, lose your health care you lose your pension and you have a family to support right. too i mean it it, it is a, a tremendous act of courage uh for a number of these priests but um
1: now do they normally stay and worship in the same building are there problems with like who owns this and it y- can't suddenly belong to a new bishop right yeah, no how- no it, Lots of stuff to consider, and
3: and for and I'm we have 47 parishes in the ordinary in and how many uh,
1: folks gathered together in that quote unquote diocese?
3: Well, uh, of our canonical members, uh, those who are canonically members of the ordinary, we have about let's say 10,000 of okay. those, which means there's about 20,000 people going to mass on a right. Sunday in the ordinary. Um, but for if you just look at it in terms of 47 parish communities, there are 47 different answers to your question yes, about okay. how this happens. See,
1: that's what I guess what I was getting at is I kind of sensed that. And I, and I think you seem off, awful like calm and peaceable about all this. There just has to be so many questions. So you obviously... Uh, give yourself over the Holy Spirit a lot to oh, be able to say, yeah. I don't know exactly where I'm supposed to go, but I guess you'll move me.
3: Every single one of these situations, every single uh, clergy change, every group coming into full communion, every former pre- uh, Anglican clergyman being formed for priesthood is a unique and individual situation. I have a wonderful team of collaborators uh, with me in Houston. Uh, my vicar general, and some of the others, and we sit down, and it has to be a fresh approach to each and everything.
1: Now, you have a home because every diocese has to have a cathedral. So how does that work?
3: So my cathedral is the Cathedral of Our Lady of Walsingham. It's in Houston, Texas. Okay. And our chancery is on the same grounds. Did it just
1: get designated as a cathedral?
3: Right. Exactly right. So in uh, the document that set up the Ordinary in North America, that church was chosen as first the principal church. Okay. It was a a church of the pastoral provision that we talked about under John. Paul II. So it was founded, what, in 84, I think, you know. So it's a, it's been a, a Catholic parish for 33 years, but of this, uh, of this Anglican heritage. And because it had, you know, the structural, uh, it was the most developed property, if you will. And it, it was able to be uh, named the principal church. And it served as that for uh, a number of years until the appointment of a bishop. And a, a bishop has a cathedral. And so Our Lady of Walsingham became the cathedral. I've
1: learned so much, and this has been so edifying. Now, if someone wanted to reach out and find out more about the personal ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter, how would they do that? Is there a...
3: Well, you know, the internet tells you all things. Yes, right. You can Google everything. You can Google everything. You You come to our website, which is uh, www.ordinariate.net.
1: Ordinariate.net. How do you spell that? Well,
3: there you go. (laughs) There will be the first (laughs) challenge.
1: (laughs) You can can Google that, too. Exactly. Well, um, Bishop Stephen Lopes, thank you so much for spending time with us here at the catholic cafe edifying us uh, and i guess it's an opportunity that we should we should really consider praying for all peoples right wherever the holy spirit's gathering them and guiding them uh there's a lot of people, difficult decisions and just great pondering and discernment people have to do right. i wonder if you might offer our listeners a little blessing as we uh, as we exit the program
3: absolutely uh, may the lord bless you and keep you may he turn his face towards you and be gracious to you may he shed his countenance upon you and fill you with his peace who is father son and holy spirit
0: amen Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com where you can find out more information about The Catholic Cafe, listen online, download MP3s, or subscribe to our podcast. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff.com